Drive Live, it's the legal hour. Ludmilla Yamalova is with us in the room. Ludmilla, it is nice to see you, as it always is. Thanks for coming in. Wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Legal Hour so, on Drive Live. Let's jump straight in, actually. This is not just property. We're going to be talking property. If you have a property question, text in. If you have a legal question of another nature, then text in. And I wanted to jump in... Uh, straight into the VAT conversation. I know there's nothing in particular to update. We don't know uh, anything particularly new from last week, but you expect details post-Ramadan? Well, yes, indeed. So the Ministry of Finance has announced that more details in particular, uh, perhaps even draft laws uh, on VAT and and the implementing regulations will become available after the end of Ramadan. So perhaps one of the reasons why we're not hearing any more new statements uh, are because of that. Now, as I say that, there is actually another briefing that is scheduled by the Ministry of Finance uh, tailored for the SMEs, uh, which I will be attending, and uh, perhaps there will be some new details that will be of relevance, which I will make sure to update our listeners. But until uh, until such time, the real the real details or the real clarity, um, or I guess ne- next level of details and clarity sh- should come after Ramadan. Okay, so updated details on that. We should point out that we don't, we haven't seen the law or a draft right. law yet. This is you attending briefings at the Ministry of Finance. Indeed, but I will also tell you, right now there seems to be kind of the season for events and I think it's, again, perhaps in uh, before the before Ramadan, before people sc- uh, scurry away for the summer, so there's a lot of events going on, a lot of business events uh, by various business councils and almost every one of these business council events has already held one, if not more, sessions and briefings on VAT. So the message on the street is the same and it's consistent, it permeates uh, the business community, so I think it is safe to uh, to continue to uh, to state that uh, while we do not know the details of the law, but the law is coming, and the timeline uh, timeline of this law is 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 fairly imminent, and that is January two thousand eighteen. And um, all businesses are being advised from various angles to continue to prepare for this uh, the introduction of this law. And once again, that is the point, isn't it, to get people. In uh, in the mode of preparing for VAT, and more and more details are starting to come out. Correct. Okay, let's go straight to the phone lines. If you have a question for Ludmilla today, first of all, let's talk to Matthew. He is online. Let me see number four. Matthew, you've got a question for Ludmilla. It's about rent. Don't know any more details. Put your question to her if you would. Yeah. Hi, hi, Ludmilla. How are you? Hello, Matthew. Um, Ludmilla, we've been renting our apartment from one of the big developers in Dubai for the last 14 years. It's actually rented through my wife's company, um, and um, and we pay my wife's company the rent, and then they settle it with this big developer. Um, so we've been there 14 years. Unfortunately, her company is going to close in uh, about July. Our tenancy finishes around about August and this developer is now saying to us that if we want to take it on um, we will be considered a new tenant after 14 years and um, have to pay basically so it it sort of jumps rearer I've already spoken to them and they've said no you need to take it up with the uh, landlord Um, so they'll just basically uh, put the rent up as if we were a new tenant uh, I Ma- where we stand. Correct. Matthew, you've re- received um, correct advice, unfortunately, for you, because it, this would be considered a new contract because the party to the contract would be new. And that is, even though, technically speaking, physically, you've always been the party to the property, but contractually or legally, it's always been the company of your, your wife's um, employer. 
so therefore, contractually and legally, they are the parties of the contract, and you just have the benefit of that contract. And um, so if, if the company closes and you step into the sh- shoes of the company, it is, it is correct. Then you become the new party to the contract. And therefore, at that point, the landlord can introduce whatever terms, uh, new terms, new rent, uh, because there is no limitation of renewing the contract because the contract cannot be renewed because the party to that contract um, is ultimately you know, rescinding the contract. So it's going to be a, a novation of a contract. So unfortunately, okay. that's, that's correct. So the only other option is if you can somehow negotiate with your company, with your wife's company, that they will continue the uh, the contract in, in their name. I, I don't know if it's practical uh, or if somehow you can buy out that company. I don't know if it's, just, if it's a national company or if it's just a shell company. So there could be other arrangements. But the only way you'll be able to continue to get the benefit of the contract if that company that is a party to it continues to exist legally and continues to rent. So they would have to show every year sort of trade licenses and stuff like that, would they? It depends on your landlord. If the landlord asks for that, then yes, but not all companies, not all landlords do. But in your case, it sounds like, especially since you've you've let the landlord know now, so I wouldn't be surprised if he demands that license uh, every year. Uh, Matthew, can I uh, just ask, uh, what yeah, are the, sure. is there an option there for you to talk to the landlord or the landlord's representative directly? It may sound like a daft question, maybe you've done that, but is that something you could maybe do? I, I have, I, I've been speaking to them over the last couple of days, so trying to work my way up the food chain. I think mm-hmm. I spoke to some, I mean he was the leasing director today, he was very nice, but he basically said the same thing. I mean it's it's one of the two top developers here um, and I think they've probably got their rules pretty much set in stone. I would I'll keep trying um, And have uh, you looked at the RERA index? Is the property, is the market value much higher than what you've been paying? Yeah, we we pay about 57 I think and the new rent will be about 80 the early 80s but is that is that what the rear indicator shows? You may want to look at the rear indicator, and if it's somewhere in between, you may want to use that as a negotiating tactic. Yeah, I mean, rear did say uh, when I spoke to or when I looked on the rear calculator, I think it can only go up by about three thousand dirhams um, because we're sort of within the whatever percentage that you can put it up. But uh, I, when I spoke to rear, they just said no, sorry, it's down to the landlord because that's what's happening. And they're correct in that regard. All right, Matthew. Well, look, hopefully, uh, all the best. Hopefully, something can work out. In the meantime, appreciate you calling. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thank you very much. Thanks for your help. That's Cheers. Matthew uh, on the line. It's a real kick in the teeth, isn't it? I know that if I was to move my uh, contract is in my name, we've been there for, what, 11 years? But if I moved it to my wife's name for any particular reason, it would still be considered a new tenancy. And that's the experience of a lot of people, I suppose. Indeed, right? yes. And that's just, that's sometimes it actually benefits because when it's a company, then the company can, obviously, employees come and go. But if the contract is in the name of the company, then the company uh, stands to benefit uh, from that particular contract and the rate uh, for much longer irrespective of which employees are living in there but in this case it obviously what well, it has worked for Matthew sounds like for many years but um, it's not it's not unlikely or it's not unreasonable to expect that perhaps if, if he continues to, uh, to negotiate in particular with the actual decision maker 
then maybe maybe there is some some kind of a compromise to be struck because often what we find is when you are trying to negotiate with a company there there's a department sort of that that is responsible for these issues but they're not the actual decision makers and mm. so if you could actually get to someone uh, above um, above that department uh, often you know people are more reasonable than than we we often believe Okay, questions for Ludmilla Yamalova today, not just of a property nature. We're going to come back and talk about uh, this story, the general prosecution. This is a story from Abu Dhabi yesterday, calling on youngsters to uphold traditional values of the UAE. This is after a a video published on social media went viral uh, to some uh, complaint, it should be said. We have a question in from Nadia that relates directly to that. But if you have a question for Ludmilla, you can call us on 423-1010, text us through the app or 4001. This is Drive Live on Dubai Eye 103.8. Legal questions for Ludmilla Yamalava. She is with us. Legal Hour on Drive Live. That's what we're doing at the moment. It's uh, wider than just property to get in touch if there is something you'd like clarified. A couple of things just to do with Matthew's call there. Matthew was on the line saying, look, I've lived in a property, one of the big developers' properties, for 14 years. I'm paying X. They, because the contract is in my wife's company's name and the company is closing, I think Matthew said, they're now asking for a much higher rent. Ludmilla, you suggested it may be possible for him to... uh, continue to, I don't know, buy out the company in some way, continue to use the license. Nitin uh, kind of agrees and said, look, it's best to buy out the license. Practically speaking, probably not going to be any cheaper though, is it? Well, exactly, because Matthew has now clarified what the uh, what the marginal what the margin of an increase That's the right. landlord is asking and that is in uh, around th- 30,000 dirhams a year and while that's a significant amount when you're coming from 50 to 80 something uh, maintaining a license actually on an annual basis will cost a lot more than that so I would assume since his wife actually worked for this company this company in addition to having a license must have had also physical space or an office space and this is just one of the general requirements in the UAE for any uh, legal entity to exist it needs to actually have have uh, an office uh, in most cases a physical office in the very best cases it's a it's a flexi desk office but one way or the other there is a cost to it so in addition to the license you also need to pay for an office physical or virtual plus all the other utilities and uh, now and any other kind of visa expenses and and uh, phone bills and, uh, and 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 now with the introduction of VAT you also have to be prepared to pay a VAT tax uh, so all in all uh, maintaining a license for the purposes of just um, continuing with this contract does not sound like commercially is the reasonable step forward. It doesn't. Other questions in today. Hi, no name on this. Is the landlord ultimately responsible for unpaid empower bills by the tenant? The tenant is in the process of eviction just now. Who pays? Well, it depends on the name that's on the empower bill. So in uh, in some cases, well, I guess historically or at least originally, a lot of the uh, empower bills would continue to be in the name of the landlord and often the landlord would be stuck with uh, the uh, with the unpaid bills of the tenant but then over the time the system has changed and now in most cases it's possible to have an actually in most cases utility bills have actually a two-layer uh, n- uh, registration system and that is the landlord has an account with let's say Empower and then under that there's a sub account that's in the name of the tenant and then the tenant uh, would um, in the, then be responsible for obviously his or her her fees and there's always a, a deposit with Empower so presumably if there's a sub account in the name of the tenant there would be a deposit so in the very least, uh, the uh, um, at least some of the amount, some of the unpaid bills could be offset by the deposit. Uh, but in practical, that's in legal terms. So in practical.
practical terms, if the tenant is being evicted and actually leaving the country uh, for the landlord to be able to re-rent that property, they will have to settle um, the unpaid bills in order for the new tenant to register. Uh, so while legally speaking, it should be the responsibility of the tenant if the account was in the name of the tenant. Uh, in practical terms, the landlord needs to be prepared to have to foot the bill if the tenant disappears. Okay, Ludmilla, if we can turn to one of today's topics, it's that warning from the UAE General Prosecution. And they're warning young people, I guess, against posting immoral videos online and just to be wary of social media. The guidelines are fairly clear on this, perhaps. Uh, well, clear, if, if you've lived in the UAE for long enough, then you would have heard this, uh, the warning of, of this kind uh, repeated every so often. And But for many, it actually is not as clear as... Uh, as, as you know, those of us who've been here longer would expect. Uh, but in general terms, uh, any, any kind of content that is published online or disseminated publicly, we need to be very cautious and very careful about uh, what uh, the, 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 I guess, the content um, of those messages and those communications. And that is because the UAE uh, guards its, um, its, its principles of morality and security and privacy uh, very closely. A lot of it stems from sort of cultural underpinnings is historical, but also legal. And so, for example, the right to privacy is very zealously guarded in the UAE, and therefore anybody who disseminates information uh, to the public without the authority of the person to whom that information belongs actually uh, faces criminal sanctions. So those kind of crimes would be penalized under the criminal law and not just your typical civil law. Uh, similarly, for example, making any kind of statements publicly that may be perceived as slanderous or defamatory, inflammatory, uh, would also can easily be, well, actually legally would be considered um, as criminal. And once again, this is because uh, the, the, the culturally the UAE or the, the country pr- uh, values its rights to reputation and morality uh, much higher, for example, than perhaps some of the Western countries. So a lot of the time people will make statements uh, publicly that to them or maybe they seem funny humorous and and in some ways innocent but if they can be perceived as being slanders or offensive to someone else and um, these kind of conducts can very easily be perceived and considered as um, as illegal activities and this is where the line is very very fine because let's face it with social media the whole idea of social media is we use it uh, without really giving much thought or consideration in terms of what we post what we say uh, so it's actually very easy to slip uh, to to con- to slip and cross the line and also because there isn't anything in the law that clearly sets out for example what is defamatory what is offensive but the general guidelines if you think that it may be perceived by someone or may be taken by somebody as offensive uh, or inflammatory then it's just best not to post that content and importantly truth is not a defense here because once again the idea is that if you um, if, if your comments may damage somebody's rep- reputation uh, the country looks at these kinds of conducts very seriously and therefore the penalties are quite severe they're not just monetary but they are also criminal furthermore if any of this dissemination or communication happens uh, through the online uh, forum uh, then or electronically the penalties are much higher we actually have had a text in from Nadia on this uh, specific topic. She says, as an admin of my neighborhood community group on Facebook, is she legally responsible if a member of that group then posts something that maybe names and shames or, or some kind of content that's not appropriate? Is she then responsible for it? 
That's a great question. And in short, yes, uh, it, she can be. And uh, this is and this is kind of one of the perils of of being the organizer or um, uh, being kind of the, the platform for hosting these sort of social media uh, chats or social media platforms that allow other people to disseminate information because ultimately you are the instigator or you can be perceived as the instigator because you've provided for this opportunity to the people to make these comments. Um, so this is, uh, the, you know, this is why organizing these kind of communication um, uh, chat rooms uh, should be should be carefully considered and quite closely scrutinized because and the, the whole idea is and this is kind of the logical explanation behind it if you will and that is once you've named and shamed someone the message is out the cat is out of the bag and the idea is that to unwind or uh, to, to rewind uh, the the potential damage that these kinds of comments might have done to that person uh, is almost impossible in today's virtual reality. And this is why there is the UAE cyber law that was introduced in 2006 and it's amended since then a few times. In, in particular, the, has increased the penalties or assigned pretty hefty penalties, financial penalties, in addition to criminal penalties, to the tune of, it started out, it was 50,000 and it became 250,000 dirhams just as a penalty. And it goes even up to a million dirhams. Once again, because of this because once anything that we communicate in the online platform today has much greater consequences and much more damaging effect potentially on people's lives and people's reputations and this is why you just you know, any kind of chat rooms any kind of social media platforms should be um, should be handled and administered with that in mind Ludmilla Yamalova is here from Yamalova and Pleska. That is the legal advice. Uh, well, I'm going to come back and ask you some more about this, actually. What uh, to post, what not to post, how to uh, question yourself, I suppose, uh, before you do that. We'll talk some more about that because it is a story that's garnered lots of attention this week. That's in a few minutes' time. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live only on Dubai Eye. 103.8. It's Drive Live and it is 5.36. Ludmilla Yamalova is here. Legal Hour on Drive Live. We are looking at a number of different topics, lots of questions to get to. I want to come back, if I can, briefly to uh, the story that Natalie brought up, Ludmilla, just before the news. And it is this, the general prosecution calling on youngsters to uphold traditional values of the UAE. And what's happened, and this has got lots of attention over the last couple of days, the UAE general prosecution has issued a statement warning prosecution for people who publish on social media videos that go against traditional values and morals of the UAE. Now, there was a video posted. I haven't seen the video which has contravened uh, and contradicted the norms of the UAE, if you like. So, you know, it does bring this back into the spotlight. The one thing I did want to say was if you, if you think something or you say something to somebody that could be misconstrued, you have an opportunity to say, I, I didn't mean like that, and hopefully uh, the argument or potential argument simmers down. You have an opportunity to apologise in a public forum, and that can be that. However, online, you don't have that opportunity. A post has been posted, people see it, they can screenshot it before you delete it, and effectively, that the truth is out there, if I can quote the X-Files rather badly, but you know what I mean. So you have to be very, very careful. Well, exactly, because the potential of uh, of damage to one's reputation, one's business, uh, is immeasurable. Because if you if you say something about, let's say, a company, uh, whether it's true or not, let's say if it if it's utterly untrue, how do you actually defend yourself in public forum? And and as we know, often when you actually try to defend yourself, it's often perceived uh, the other way around. It's perceived that you're actually trying to to justify your action. So there's no what you know, once you've actually, once the comment once the cat cat is out of the bag, it's so difficult 
to to put the lid back on it. And this is exactly why at least authorities here view uh, the use of social media and in particular through um, uh, interna- uh, information technology so much more seriously. Uh, because also, for example, so and this is going back to the story that, um, that was kind of the lead in to this topic today. Uh, I haven't seen the video and um, and so for good reason it was deleted from what I understand uh, mm. quickly thereafter but what we un- what we have surmised so far is that this was just some girls dancing but wearing traditional cultural clothes um, and dancing to perhaps a music that sort of does not quite correspond with the cultural values of, of the society um, so but if, if there was just a dance per se of just girls in some other country uh, that didn't really have a connection to, to, to the culture here uh, it might not be perceived the same way uh, when you actually have some cultural elements involved and this is where the authorities here consider that potentially implicates and kind of offends the culture um, so in culture and the cultural morals and this is basically why in this in this case you know that video was considered to be uh, of illegal content and the public prosecutor made such a um, such a broad statement because this is more of a reminder of of something that has happened in the past and something that continues to happen especially for with people who are youngsters I mean let's let's face it we know how youngsters sort of act these days which is sure push the button and there it is, or people who, who are new to the, to the region. The point is to think, isn't it? And this is, you're absolutely right. This is a reminder. Let, let's, can I try and illustrate the point just, just very simply? If I was to say to you, uh, we go and have a cup of coffee, and I was to sit there and say, ha ha, your law firm, you might have a plethora because rubbish, jokingly, you would turn back to me and say, well, you're rubbish at your job, and that's it, done. However, if I was to say that on this radio station behind your back, you weren't here, exactly the same thing, without the laugh at the end, that is, uh, that's an entirely different contention. If I was then to publish that on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and just say YNL is X, that again is entirely different. The connotations are different from that, and that's what you have to look for, because those are three incidences of exactly the same potentially same statement but they are three in legal terms i I guess you can argue it three different ways absolutely in fact and this is why the penalties are also different uh, in corresponding to the types of uh, the setting environment in which these comments are made so let's say for example if it's just you and me in the presence of natasha it's just the three of us so the extent of potentially defamatory comments that you make about me or i make about you is limited right it's limited to basically just one witness and so the penalties and this is these these kind of uh, conducts would be judged under the penal code, so the UAE uh, penal code that is you know, 20 some years old, or more than that, 30 some years old. And so, uh, whereas, for example, if we did the same thing and we published it in the magazine, uh, a hard copy of a magazine, something uh, it would be perceived because now it's the public or uh, the environment is much greater. So obviously, the effect of the of the defamatory statements and the damage to our uh, respective reputation is much greater. So again, the penalties would be uh, would be much higher. Now. W- Let's take that same statement, and now we've taken that statement and moved it onto the online publication. And you mm. can imagine now it's basically, it, it has a potential, potential of becoming viral. This is where the cyber law comes in. So it's in addition to the penal code and cyber law that was initially introduced in 2006, but it was introduced with this very objective of, um, of uh, administering or regulating communications that happen through information technology precisely because of the potential spectrum of exposure that um, these um, communication these messages can reach. 
Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Are you do you use Twitter? You're a Facebook user, aren't you? I know. I'm a Facebook user. Yeah, Twitter. I think I'm a little too old for Twitter. I have to admit. No. Are you really? I'm You're not too old so, for Twitter. So no. I'm Just far too old I, for Twitter. It's because I don't get it. I, <laughs> okay, that, that's different. That's yeah, that, different. That is an entirely different. <laughs> so it must thing. be a very old but, mindset. By the way, can I just state for the record that your law firm are not rubbish? In case anybody thought I was. Thank you very much. Just because <laughs> I was, I was making comments here on the side. <laughs> but the point is, isn't it, that uh, if you if you're about to post something, very often. I'll think, oh, I'm going to put something about that on Twitter. And I, I find myself, I stop myself quite a lot before I, I would maybe rephrase something or not respond to something. That's the point. So it is about exercising restraint and thinking, uh, before you leap, you, do you find yourself doing that if you're going to yeah, post something I on think Twitter you have or Instagram? To, you have to, I think I was always told, um, whatever you put on the internet is the same as broadcasting. So you have to think very carefully before you tweet or Instagram or Facebook because you can't just hit delete anymore. Once you've put something online, it can't ever be removed. If somebody takes a screenshot of it and then uses that, you can't, you can't be too careful. So I think it's important that you think you think first you can absolutely especially if you're upset or you've had a bad experience somewhere lots of people just then maybe go online and complain about somewhere and you know as Lou Miller said um, the truth is not a defense in this country in some places it is a defense but but if you went to say a restaurant was terrible and there was maybe something wrong with it or wrong with the food or the kitchens were dirty that's potentially affecting someone's livelihood so therefore they could take action so you do need to be very careful if you and indeed and this is why the peer-to-peer sort of review for example restaurant reviews is not as um, sort of prevalent in this part of the world exactly for that reason because you could imagine how many people can go to a restaurant and just and place whatever comments they want on online about that restaurant. The restaurant and the idea is that the restaurant doesn't even have an opportunity to respond. So here, uh, these comments would once again be considered uh, slanderous. And in fact, there have been a number of cases where these sort of sites and the administrators of these sites have been warned rather strictly and if if not persecuted for the very same reason. Uh, so also one more comment to add to this, because this communication of this sort can also uh, involve any kind of private information. So even if it's not defamatory, but the right to privacy in this country culturally, historically, is very zealously guarded as well. So therefore, anything that you disseminate to um, to the public that is not your property uh, and or that can potentially reveal private information with somebody else, you have to be very, very careful. And that includes, for example, photographs. So posting photographs of other people on um, social media, e- even your Facebook, uh, can be considered um, uh, defamatory and offensive uh, because they violate the right to privacy. Be very uh, careful about for example posting phone numbers of people and we've seen how many times and is you know how many of us have seen people for example hey let's let's you know, collect phone numbers or these are the people that whose numbers I have or whose details I have and they want to for example join this group and hear all of their details once again and that phone numbers names contact details addresses pictures um, anything that uh, potentially can be perceived actually is considered as private information do not post it do not repost it because you can be persecuted. Okay, there's a text for you. Please, can you clarify your comments regarding uh, regarding defamation and slaughter? If a thief steals money from someone, and that person calls him or her a thief in front of a third party, are you saying that the man or woman who was robbed could then be prosecuted for reputational damage? Um, in short, yes, and this is why. So, for example, 
let's that's this very specific case. So we're mm-hmm. talking about a thief. Well, now who determines that that person is a thief? Let's say yes, you know, Tim saw me personally take that money, uh, and uh, and so then you, you know it's your money. But uh, but what if you and I, you know, I owe you money, and or you owe me money. So in fact, it may seem like you, um, that I stole your money, but you know there could always be the other side to the story. But right. one way or the other, I am neither you nor me in that case is an arbiter of of you know who is a criminal here. So the idea here is that there is a special forum where these uh, these conducts or these offenses or these claims should be should be brought and therefore adjudicated, and that is the courts. So it's not that um, this person who you know, stole the money, let's say in this case me, is just go goes around without impunity. No, not at all. It's just that there are certain forums or certain platforms through which these kind of conducts need to be addressed. This also goes back to, for example, if you recall, there was a story a few years ago of a motor of an incident on Shehzad Road where a motorist is some sort of altercation, physical altercation, and someone vi- uh, videotaped that particular altercation, posted it on Facebook. So the authorities in that case actually did um, uh, did initially at least charge the person who posted that content, and not uh, be, and and but ultimately also persecuted the person who um, who uh, initiated the altercation. And so the idea there was it wasn't that this is that it's okay to do this, but rather that you have to leave it to the authorities to adjudicate these kind of issue, issues. And in fact, even it's it's okay to even take the video, but just do not make that video publicly available. Take it to the authorities. Let the authorities deal with this conduct. And uh, he, there is um, an app in uh, in Dubai. I think it's a Dubai Police app, some or something rather like that. So in fact, where there is a portal for people to post photographs, to post videos, uh, to bring this kind of information to the authorities. Once again, with the idea that it's the authorities that need to be addressing this and not us private citizens. That's right. I mean, it is to go, the Dubai Police app, you're right, you, you can film in the app and then send directly to the police, but posting to social media is an entirely different thing. But just on that original text, then if somebody was pursued through the courts, they were found guilty of, of said theft, so then for you to then call them a thief, that wouldn't be... Um, defamation because that would be true and proved in a court of law. In not true because again, uh, truth here is not a defense because once again, I could be a thief. Okay, well the court punished me and I went and I served my time in jail and I paid uh, the the system whatever penalties. But then what if I want to continue to what? What if I want another chance or bite of the apple, another chance at life? So I don't want that reputation to haunt me. So you see how, for example, logically at least, once again, this be this could be considered okay uh, as as defamatory and there are four illegals. So even so, even though I was a thief, I don't necessarily want the public to know about it because I've already served my time, already paid my dues uh, for having done that. But Amelia Malava, who is not a thief, we're taking uh, for instance here. Uh, one, one final thing before we go to a break. Edward's texting, and this is interesting. What if the social media account is hacked and illegal content, we've seen this a number of times, illegal content is posted. What happens in that case? It's going to be hard. It is hard. I mean, you have to be prepared. Obviously, in this case, if it's hacked, it's not your doing. So that would be a defense, and and, uh, and that would be a very legitimate defense. Um, however, it, you just need to be prepared that when something like this does happen, obviously, the default reaction is, that you or the, the, the administrator, whoever has the right to that social account, is the perpetrator until you prove otherwise. And so, and the way these kinds of offenses work in the in this country. So, if there is a claim of, of criminal um, of criminal nature, uh, provided obviously there is sufficient uh, information, at least at the preliminary stage, to back it up, um, then there will be a claim filed. And then, in most cases, um, you you may not be able that person may not be able to leave the country. So, there's a bit of restriction to travel. 
travel. Uh, so this is important to understand that, uh, that at least temporarily until you've had the chance to, to present the evidence and your defense to the prosecutor, uh, you may have restricted uh, ability to travel. Last word on this to Nitin, who's texted back, actually, and this is perfectly reasonable. We need to restrain before posting anything. That's the point. You may not like or agree with anything that goes on around you, but before you move your thumbs, think, which I think is uh, a good way to put it. And I will tell you also, just quickly, this should also apply the same rule. Nitin is very correct, but it should also apply to any kind of form of communication, even if we're talking amongst each other. So, for example, WhatsApp, SMS, or internal uh, email communication between friends and and um, office colleagues, because any any one of these communications can be reposted, reforwarded. So you have to be very careful and always exercise that kind of scrutiny. Okay, Ludmilla Yamalova, if you have a question of a legal nature for Ludmilla, there is going to be about five six minutes. We've got a lot to get to, but get a question in quickly now. Four double zero one, the free app you can text on for no money, or call us directly four two three ten ten. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. Tweet at Dubai I one zero three eight FM. Ludmilla Yamalova is here just for another few minutes. We are taking legal questions. We've got a lot to get through. NLT, what you got? Yeah, there's a text here from a lady that wants to stay anonymous. She says. Um, she needs some advice on labour law. Um, if her employer terminates a limited contract with no real reason, what are the end of service benefits? And it's within the education sector. Okay, so under the UAE labour law, the end of service benefits for uh, for a limited contract are as follows. Number one, uh, the notice period has to be paid out unless the employee is asked to serve that notice period. The notice uh, statutory minimum notice period is one month unless the contract provides for a longer uh, notice period, and sometimes we've seen up to six months. Um, so that's one. The other one is the end of service benefits, and those are because here there is a termination, not resignation. Therefore, in very brief terms, the end of service benefits are calculated 21 days of basic salary for every year of service service for the first five years and then after that it's 30 days for every year uh, so it will be that and then third will be the unpaid vacation whatever other sort of um, untaken leave uh, and fourth it will be arbitrary dismissal now and this is where in limited contracts whenever there is no reason when an employee is terminated without without any reason um, then there is compensation for what's called the arbitrary dismissal which in uh, uh, in the law is up to three months however in practical terms the courts almost always grant the full three months and these are the three months of full salary not basic salary but full salary that includes all the allowance unless the remaining term of the limited contract is shorter than three months so let's say if the employer is terminating two months before the expiration of the contract then it will only be two months but otherwise if it's anywhere before uh, uh, three months then it will be the full three months Okay, here's another question, kind of related actually. Friend working in a free zone says, Michael, joined on a two-year contract with a six-month contract, four months without a visa or medical. Is this legal? If not, what can uh, my friend do? And I think there's a probation, right? There's a, I, I think a, it must a, be just a, missed out there. Yeah. Probation, yes. Um, so, well, the general premise in the UAE is for anyone other than Emiratis to work legally in the country, they must have a proper residence visa. Therefore, any kind of a contract that brings somebody in without a residence visa is, in legal terms, is is improper and uh, um, and is illegal. So, therefore, no company should be offering anybody a contract without 
about uh, the visa. And yes, we've heard many complaints about companies uh, being forced to bring somebody in, uh, somebody in on a visa right away before they've tested them, especially before the probation period expires. And this is why I think the listener asked about the question of the six-month probation, because what we've seen, particularly in the past, companies will bring somebody in for six months, try them out, and if they're good enough, then they will put them on the visa. And obviously, they do this to avoid paying their necessary, well, in their minds, a necessary break, a visa expenses. And this is even more relevant today because now, as of at least now a year and a half ago, uh, every residence visa and every contract now is a t- it comes with a requirement of health insurance. So when you bring an employee now, not only are you required to pay for their visa, but also for their health insurance. So it's in, in companies' minds a lot more expensive, and so they, n- they don't necessarily want to commit that cost before bring some b- before have te- uh, having had the opportunity to test someone. However, legally speaking, this is not uh, this is not proper. This is not uh, allowed, and therefore, if I were the employee in this case, I would raise that issue, and I would uh, not um, you know, and I would not accept those terms. Also, you need to be very very careful because in the event. It's not just about the company. It's also about you and your potential rights. So let's say if you're working for this company without a visa, and that would be on the tourist visa, if authorities do come in and if you're subject to an inspection, in this case, the company will be penalized 50,000 dirhams uh, for for each violation. But you, as um, as an employee, as somebody working for a company on a tourist visa, actually could be subject to deportation. And the deportation in this country is deportation for life. So it's not just about monetary penalties that you may have to pay and potentially and some interim time in jail but more importantly uh, the deportation we've seen many cases like that so you have to be very very careful in very um, in very in brief and in short in short do not accept because this is not legal and um, and it's just not worth the risk and finally just one question from Alex here and um, he says I agreed to take on a new villa last week I've signed an offer letter and the initial contract the security check was paid and the cash is now with the landlord but the landlords turned around and said they want 5,000 dirhams more they want to know where they stand and the villa rental is direct with the landlord or with the owner sorry well the in very in briefly the landlord has is in breach of contract because they are now rewriting the terms of the contract by requesting uh, more uh, higher payment and that would be basically what they're trying to do is a, a unilaterally amending the contract which is not allowed by law so therefore there is a breach, so you as a tenant you're not required to accept those terms and um, and if the landlord does not uh, does not agree to go back then you can accuse them or you can claim a breach of contract uh, breach of contract and then therefore rescind uh, the the problem is, however, is that unless you can amicably agree with something, then there could be a stalemate since you've already given the deposit. You cannot just walk away. You need that deposit back. Uh, so if the landlord uh, digs his or her heels and does not refund the deposits, you should bring the case. You And your only recourse could be bringing the case to the rent committee. You will win, absolutely win, if obviously provided you make the right arguments. Uh, but it will cost you time and money, though you will be able to recoup your um, your fees, um, uh, filing, your, your filing fees. Uh, but it's but generally speaking, it's not a nice um, it's not a nice place to be, especially since you've already given money and and, and you know, presumably you're ready to move in. Mm. And what would your first course of action be then if you were in that position? Would you advise them to try and sort it out with the landlord? Always, and that should always be uh, the course of sort of prior the, the priority in every in every kind of transaction because going to court is never nice and it's expensive and it's uh, and it's cumbersome. So should and we should all we always welcome and, and encourage communications. But as a general comment, you know, so what, what do we learn from this? And so that's a more important uh, lesson. So how do you avoid these? 
kind of situations. What should have happened is that uh, money should have changed hands only when you've gotten something back. And the gotten something back is what? That there should be the keys, for example, to, to the apartment. Because at that point, if you've actually exchanged uh, money and keys and access to the apartment at the same time, this would not have happened. Even if the landlord wanted to increase or wanted the additional 5000 they wouldn't really have physically or practical leverage over you. Ludmilla Yamalova is from Yamalova and Pleska. There are so many questions and never enough time, unfortunately. But uh, Ludmilla, always appreciate your thoughts. Thank you once again for coming in. Always a pleasure. Thank you.